Welcome to the Grove Church's message podcast. My name is Julie Penta, and I am the lead pastor of the Grove Church, which is located in Fort Collins, Colorado. We hope this message inspires you to live for Christ more fully. For more information, visit our website at thegrovecommunity.net and check out our Instagram, thegrovefc. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to week four of our series that we are in called Hashtag Squad Goal. So you may have heard of this before if you've been here the past couple of weeks. You've actually heard this term, Hashtag Squad Goal. So a squad is literally a group of people that have a common purpose in mind. And here at the Grove, we are a squad because we have a common purpose in mind. We have a couple common purposes in mind. One of our big purposes comes from the very name of our church, the Grove. We picked the name the Grove because the Grove is a green space in a community. And green spaces in a community literally make it healthier, stronger, more vibrant. And that is what we want to be as a squad a group of people that goes out into our community to let people know that there is a God that loves them. And here at The Grove, the moment that you walk through these doors, you are automatically part of the squad. There's no in crowd and out crowd. There's no exclusivity. We are welcoming you in. You are welcome to be part of our crowd this morning. And if you're still on the whole fence about the God thing, that's okay. We encourage you to keep coming because even though you might not believe in God right now, he believes in you. And he has moved heaven and earth to get you in these seats right now because he has something to say to you directly this morning. So we are so glad that you are here. So this term, hashtag squad goals, came about in more popularity back in 2014. And the term It literally means, right, like squad means a group of people that have a common purpose. But hashtag squad goals is this term that means the ideal, what your friend group should be that you, in your dreams, your wildest dreams that you want it to be. It has taken on many different meetings over the years, like we've shared the past couple of weeks. One of the biggest things that people use the hashtag for is uh, really amazing pictures of food now. So it's like the ideal, the perfection. And, um, and then another one I found this past week was this group of NHL uh, mascots. And they said hashtag squad goals. Now, I will give you points, right? I'll give you mad shout outs on our Facebook if you can name after the service at least five of the teams that correspond with the NHL mascots. Now, John back there, he thinks he can do it. So many of you think you can do it. If you can, come find me afterwards and I will pick, take a picture of you and put it on our Instagram and say, hashtag squad goals, these people know their NHL mascots. And then, just to prepare you, since it is Halloween coming up, emotionally prepare yourself to see post after post after post on Instagram of people in their Halloween outfits using the hashtag squad goals. So this group of people, last week, they put hashtag squad goals after they got together and all carved pumpkins together. Now, I, I have to agree. I think they nailed it. Those, some of those pumpkins are pretty good, although I did carve a, a, a carve of pirate back in the day. I will show you my picture later on. I'll put it on my Facebook, my Instagram, and I think that I might have beat them on my awesome pirate, but just saying. So those are some hashtag squad goals, and this is what we wanna be. Some of you that are younger, you might have used this post many times with you and your friends. 
Some of you that are a bit older might have an Instagram, but this is the first time you've heard of hashtag squad goals as a thing and you haven't used it yet. And then some of you that are even older might not even have an Instagram and that's okay. But here is the deal. This hashtag proves something. It tells us that there is a desire in all of us, no matter if we have Instagram or not, to be a part of a squad. And not just a squad, any old squad, to be a part of that hashtag squad goals, that type of community that values you, that is excited that you're here, that believes in you, is pouring into you, that's not talking about you behind your back, that is celebrating your successes, that's gathering around you when you're going through a rough time. We all want this hashtag squad goals in our life. In the very first week, we talked about what Jesus has to say, that he commanded us to be friends with each other, to do life together. And then we talked about what that looks like using this herd of elephants, that when a woman elephant gives birth, all of the elephants start surrounding her to protect her. They gather in and then they kick dirt on the mom and the baby and the fluids that come out to protect that scent from predators. They're protecting. And then in this awesome, like, chill-giving display of celebration, they start trumpeting to celebrate. And we said, this, that's hashtag squad goals. That's what we wanna be to each other. And in order to really continue to develop into each other and have that awesome hashtag squad goals type of community, we want to have people that are not only developing into us, but people that we are developing and pouring into. And so last week I gave this concept of a 360 degree squat. We said, hey, the people over here, this is who you're kind of level with, like they're, they're your peers, they're on the same page as you. But then we said, hey, we want people that are going to, we can learn from. People that we can learn from. So who is mentoring you? Who is pouring into you? Who are you learning from? And then this week, we this morning, we are gonna be talking about what it looks like for us to lead people, to pour into others. So, I don't know, after I'm doing this though, I kinda feel like a flight attendant, like white lights lead to red lights, which lead to exit rows. And I'm not a flight attendant. <laughs> But I am here to tell you and direct you this morning of what it looks like for us to have a really healthy hashtag squad goals type of community. So some of you are going, hey, listen, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I, like you told me last week that I need a mentor and that was already a stretch for me. I, I mean, I don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that, right? Like who's, who's, who has time for that? And now, not only are you telling me that I need to be mentored, but now you're telling me that I need to mentor somebody in my life, and that seems a little stressful because I feel like maybe I don't have a lot to be able to pour into somebody. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Here's the deal. If there were only perfect mentors in the world, there would be no mentors. The perfect mentor is a present mentor. Somebody that's willing to show up. People are not looking for your perfection. They're not looking for you to have all of the answers. They're not looking for you to be 30 years older than you are in actuality and have 30 more years of experience. They are looking for somebody that says, I believe in you, I wanna show up, I wanna help, I want to invest into you. 
So back in the day, uh, I think I was about five or six, my parents told us that we were going furniture shopping. I was a very active five-year-old, as many five-year-olds are. And the thought of going furniture shopping at five was like the, the world was over. I was very upset about it. And I feel so bad for my parents because I was also a very vocal child. So I'm sure the entire way to the furniture store, I'm whining and complaining and expressing my complete distress about being in this situation. So we pull into this strip mall in South Florida and we stop, we park. And as a child, you're going, when you stop and you park, you, like you've arrived, right? And I'm looking around and I don't see a furniture store, but in front of me, I see a pet store. And I'm like, the day is getting better. So we went in and my parents said, hey, we wanna get you guys, we, we, we surprised you fools, we're not going to the furniture shop. Instead, we are getting you guys each a bird, so you get to pick one out. And that was super exciting. I picked one, I named it Piper. And um, my brother's, I think his name was like Sparkle or Diamond, which is kind of weird, but whatever. <laughs> I'm not gonna judge him. <laughs> I just realized that right now as I'm literally talking out loud. So we had, we had Sparkle and, and Piper, our two birds, and they had a love affair. They had some baby birds, which was really fun to see as a kid, watching this, this egg come into the, the, the birdcage and then um, seeing the mom take care of that egg and then seeing it kind of like start to move and chirp. And I remember the excitement of my brother and I being out there and just waiting and then watching the little tiny bird inside peck its way out. And as those little birds were born, they had these open mouths. They were so hungry, they wanted to eat. We have a picture of what, not my baby birds, but what some baby birds in an actual nest look like. They have, they have their mouth open, right? They're, they're hungry. They wanna be fed. And this is what we need to think about as far as the people in our squad, that, that the people that we're leading, that there's a group of people out there that wanna be fed, they want, they're hungry. But can you imagine if that mama bird going out in the wild and trying to find worms was like, oh, sorry, baby birds. Like, I'm not gonna feed you this morning because the worm that I got, it was, it was too small, and I feel like you need a bigger, better worm. Or like this one, I kinda, I, I, like, I punctured it a little bit, and so now it's kinda like a, a two-worm situation, and that's not good enough for you, and so I'm just not gonna feed you. The baby birds don't care how big that worm is or, or the, the hunting strategies of its parent. All it's saying is, I'm hungry. I wanna be fed. Please feed me. The people in your life are not needing you to be perfect. And I feel like we have this idea in our head that in order to invest into people, to pour into them, that we have to do it perfectly, that we have to have all of the answers. But the fact of the matter is, you in your life now, you know so much more than you think. You came from a family background that was unique to you. You have unique gifts and skills that you can teach the people around you. You come from a unique culture background. You have different work experiences, different leadership experiences, different parenting experiences, marriage experiences, work experiences. And all of these things have put you in a position where you have at least a couple things to share to those that are around you. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think to myself, well, no, I, I don't have anything to share, right? Like, 
My marriage isn't perfect. I'm not a perfect pastor. I'm not a perfect parent. I'm not a perfect friend. I feel like I've failed maybe too many times in my life to have a voice. But let me tell you, your failure can be a great classroom. And your failures can lead you to teach people, hey, don't do this. Like, I, I might not know what to tell you what to do, but I can tell you for sure, don't do that. It will not lead to good things. So what I really want you guys to walk away from this morning as we dive into what the Bible has to say about mentoring, I wanna make it accessible to you. I want you to walk away feeling like you have something to contribute. That your, your circle is not just above this line. That your circle, your squad can be down to people that you're leading. That you have something to contribute. And so maybe it's like, I don't know, maybe it's the name mentor that kind of freaks you out. And so maybe I need to downgrade the word and say, who are you investing into? And take out that, that scary mentor word that you feel like you don't have the right to do at this point in your life. But who is it in your life that maybe God is asking you to invest into? If you're a parent and, and you've, you've had a few years under your belt, who is a newer parent that you can help guide and teach and share? If, if you've been married for a while, what are some people that are, are younger married that need some advice? If you're a leader in your community and you're running a business, who are some people that are starting up that you see that maybe they have potential to lead businesses or to be leaders in their workplace and you can teach them the lessons that you've learned along the way? So what does it look like for us to start investing into people? Well, what does the Bible have to say about this? Uh, there was this guy, his name was Paul. He originally traveled around and after Jesus had lived amongst people and he had died and rose from the dead, he said to his people, hey, I've trained you guys, go out and tell people about me. Travel around, spread the word. And so this guy, Paul, he was awesome at being awful. He, he killed Christians, that was what he did. And he was great at it, very successful, unfortunately. Until one day, God got a hold of his heart and said, hey, you've been working against me, you gotta knock it off. I need you to work for me and change the world and change people's lives around you. So he started doing that. And on his second trip, his second missionary journey, they call it, he met a guy named Timothy. He met Timothy and he saw something in him. And Timothy was inspired by Paul, and so they decided, they decided to start traveling together. And so through the remainder of Paul's second journey, Timothy traveled around with him. He saw what he did. He saw the way he lived. Paul mentored or invested into Timothy. And then, later on, Paul ended up in jail. But it was kind of more of a cushy house jail like white collar crime type situation where he was, he was in a home and he was under house arrest. And then he got out, he continued traveling and he sent Timothy somewhere to be a pastor for many, many years. And then years later, Paul ends up in jail again, but not like a cushy house jail situation. He ends up in a dungeon, a, a real prison, a real jail. And everybody is aware of the fact that he is probably going to be killed for his work of spreading the message to people that there was a God that loved them and wanted to be in relationship with them. So Paul decides to write this one last letter, his last letter to this guy that he invested into named Timothy. 
And here is one of the interesting things that he says about mentoring, investing into people. And we're gonna pick up the story in 2 Timothy 2. It says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And the things you heard me say, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Now here's the really cool thing. There are four generations of knowledge and wisdom and insight being passed down. Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, the things that I have told to you, that's two, tell to reliable people that are then going to tell others. What Paul is saying is the things that I have modeled to you, this understanding of a mentoring type relationship, it doesn't end with you and me. You need to continue it on, to continue it on to the next person, to continue it on to the next person. That way, right now in 2019, some of the things that Paul had been teaching Timothy have been transferred down the generation so that you now know them as well. This isn't just a Paul and Timothy type relationship. This is an everyone type relationship. In order for us to have the most amazing squad that we can have, you need to be carrying on and transferring, communicating the things that you have learned to other people. So how do we do this? How do we be a part of this amazing lineage of mentors? Well, here are some of the really practical things that Paul did as he was investing into the people around him, as he was mentoring Timothy. Here's what he did. 2 Timothy 1, three through six, it says, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And here is the thing, the very first thing that we see Paul doing is that he is affirming the gifts of Timothy. When you are leading people, when you are investing, mentoring into people, one of the very first things that it's important for you to do is affirm their gifts. Affirm their gifts. Paul says to Timothy, hey, you, one of your gifts is you have a gift of faith. I met you and you gave up everything in your life to travel around and tell people about me. That took faith. You left a good job, you left your home, everybody that you knew, your country, your language, I see that in you. You have such amazing faith. And he communicated that to Timothy. Also, this passage says that he laid his hands on Timothy. And what we need to realize in our cultural context, in their cultural context, is that in our society, once you've kind of completed your training program, you get a diploma and you shake the person's hand as you walk across the stage. In this culture, once you had been mentored, invested in, and you went through the training program, you completed your, your degree, if you will, the church laid hands on you, and they said, we see this in you. We think you're awesome. We think you're ready. And Paul was saying, hey, 
I believe in you. I'm affirming this in you by the fact that I laid my hands upon you for the fact that I sent you out to do great, amazing things. Who are you doing this for in your life? Who are you looking at and trying to see what gifts they have and calling those out in them? Because oftentimes in life, we are told constantly what we're not. The internet tells us this, magazines tell us this, you're not this, you're not that, you're not good enough. And how many people in your life are telling you what you are and whose you are? So for me this morning, it's a, a, it, the timing of this message is kind of apropos and interesting. Um, we had a marriage retreat this past weekend for those of you that heard about it and we brought in a couple that, that have been mentors of mine. So it's really fun this, this morning as we're talking about mentoring to have a couple that has been very instrumental in my life. So how I met them, funny story, years ago, the very beginning of our church plant, this person sent me and, and, and came up to me and said, hey, I wanna send you to a preaching conference in Columbia, Missouri. And I was like, awesome. I've always wanted to grow in my preaching. It's something that I, I still work on very hard today. And so I was like, great, I'll go to this preaching conference. And so I show up and it's me and this other uh, church planter from town traveling together to Columbia, Missouri to go to a preaching conference. We show up and I'm all excited and I'm looking around the room and there's hardly anybody there. And the two people, these two pastors walk into the room and I'm kind of like, are we going, is this like, an, uh, like a meet and greet? You know, we, we've got the VIP pass beforehand and then we're gonna go to the bigger arena where everybody else is going to be. And, and no, this guy created a fake preaching conference to send me to because he kind of thought I was that awful at it. <laughs> True story. So, in the course of having this conversation with these two pastors, they realized that we had been told that we were being sent to a preaching conference and, and they were told like, hey, can you, can you help mentor these two pastors? And we all figured it out and it was one of those moments where, and then they started asking about my preaching styles and, and, and the pastors were like, I mean, sure, you need to grow in it, but doesn't, I don't know that this is gonna be helpful for you. And so it's kind of one of those moments where they pushed aside the paper and they said, hey, tell us what's going on in your life. Tell us what you're, what you're learning. Tell us what's going on in your church plans. How can we help? So the whole weekend was basically me just like word vomiting everything that was going on in the church and how I felt like I was failing and these things that were struggles and, and, and they just invested into me and poured into me. And what they did, part of that moment for me, was after that we continued to be in relationship in a mentoring type situation. And what that did for me was it created an understanding of creating value. It, it, the fact alone that they wanted to mentor me meant that maybe I was worth investing into. And it was a time in my life where I didn't feel like I had much to offer, where I had been very beaten down. There were some significant wounds in my life and in my leadership and what had been going on in the beginning when we got first started. And they, their investment in me communicated value. They said, hey, we see these gifts in you. Don't give up. Keep going. They affirmed my callings and my skills. 
And I got this idea from another church. Um, they actually are the ones that came up with this whole idea of the hashtag squad goals. But they said that one of the most important things that we can do in other people's lives is to utter these four letters to them, which are also four words. They got clever. And those four letters are I C N U. I C N U. That one of the most important things that we can do in anybody's life is to say, I see this in you. You might not see it, but I see this in you. I see your faith. I see your giving. I see your hospitality. I see your gifts and your skills, and I think that you're amazing. And how can I help develop this in you? I see in you, which is exactly what Paul did to Timothy. So what is another thing that Paul did as he was investing in mentoring Timothy? We're gonna pick up the passage in 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7. He says, Paul says to Timothy, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God, for the Spirit, for the, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Here's why Paul's writing this to Timothy. Paul knows that he is about to be killed. And he had heard through the grapevine, and probably from Timothy himself, that Timothy was super bummed about this situation. Like his mentor was about to be killed. And not only what, what that meant for his mentor, but also what it meant for him. And can you imagine at this point, that they think probably uh, Timothy was in his mid-30s. Can you imagine your mentor is about to be killed for your faith and you're thinking that's probably the direction that I'm heading in as well, which he did years down the road. That would be so scary. That would be super hard. You would be mourning the loss of that person in your life. And so Tim, sorry, Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying, hey, listen, I know that you're discouraged. I know that you're sad, but God did not make you fearful. He did not give you a spirit of fear. And when he says to him, hey, listen, fan into flame this gift that I have given you, what he's saying is, I think that you have stopped being as great of a pastor as you could be because you're living in fear. Because you wouldn't say to somebody that was like super on fire, hey, fan into flames. You, if the fire is roaring and amazing, you don't say, hey, fan the fire. You don't need to. So what, what, what Paul is doing to Timothy right here is he is acknowledging his weaknesses. But in a non-judgmental, non-shameful way, he's just saying, hey, listen, Let's acknowledge this area that you need to grow in, but with no shame. And I'm gonna acknowledge it in a way that I'm trying to uplift you in the midst of it. So for me, I, um, I'm not a big, huge football player, or obviously, right? <laughs> and what I meant by that is I'm not a big football fan. I, I, um, I'm kind of a fair weather football fan. Like, I really only like the Super Bowl. And I mean, part of that is because I'm very competitive. And so when I spend three hours rooting for a team and they lose, I feel like that's a really bad waste of my time. And so I get really frustrated. And then I also have like a really deep empathetic part of me. And sometimes I actually feel like crying when they lose as I imagine all of that hard work that they put into this game and how they must be feeling when they lose. And so all those things together, I just like, I kind of struggle to watch football. 
And my most favorite football moments are not just the Super Bowl, but admittedly, they're the commercials in the Super Bowl. And so my all-time favorite Super Bowl or, or football moment is when um, they did the, the, that sports drink, Bye, it's like B-A-I, when Justin Timberlake did a commercial for it and they did Bye, 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 and I just thought it was hilarious. That has been all-time like, all my favorite football moment. However, I know that a lot of you love football, and we talk about it a lot, and I hear about it a lot, and this morning somebody said my kids were wearing Packers colors. Sorry, Broncos fans, I didn't mean to do it. And then other people are like, yay, the Packers. Is that your thing? But one of the things that I find really funny about football watchers is that they will say something like this in every game. Oh, man, they had that. They should have had that ball. Or they totally could have tackled him. They, they should have had that. And I, and I hear these things, and I'm like, really? I mean, Really, they should have had the ball? Like, were you there? Have you ever played professional football? Have you ever even played high school football? Do you have any idea the pressure and how fast those other people are? And I just think it's really funny that as spectators, they are criticizing a professional football player thinking that they could have done it better. Right? How many of you just did that last, like, Thursday when the Broncos were playing? For sure. I hear it in my house. And it's not coming for me. <laughs> but this is what we do in life. We, we tend to criticize when we're just spectators and we're not really in the arena. And so one of the things that I have learned that I have taught to you guys if you have done any sort of leadership development with me is that one of the things that we need to do is rather than being spectators and criticizing people that are around us, we need to get in the arena with them. And rather than being a spectator, we need to be a coach and say, hey, I believe in you. And yes, you have these weaknesses. And yes, you have these fears. But I'm gonna come alongside of you and say that you are not defined by your fears and your weaknesses. You are made in the image of God and he has made you to be something greater than that. So even though I'm acknowledging that weakness in the midst of it, I'm communicating that you are bigger than your weaknesses, and I still value you, and I'm not going to throw you out and disqualify you because you have some sort of weakness. So we affirm their strengths. We acknowledge their weakness. What else can we do? Well, we'll pick up again in 2 Timothy 3.10. It says, Paul is talking to Timothy. You know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. Paul is saying to Timothy, you know what I teach. How does he know that? Because Paul actually taught it. And one of the things that we can do as we're investing in people around us is that we can impart our knowledge. So my mentor that's here this morning, I, um, well, last week I referenced that I have this list of like Julie's top lessons in life and, I, and I, keep, uh, I keep a Google Doc of them. And it is actually, I checked it, there are 68 things on there, 68 lessons that I have learned. And then I went and counted since Rod and Julie are here this morning and 13 of them on that list are directly out of like the mouth of Rod and Julie. 13 of them, which is, I did the math, 20%, 20% of the things that I know that are valuable in my life have come from 
Rod and Julie and their investment in my life, of them teaching me things. And actually, the arena concept that I just talked about wasn't mine, it was theirs. <laughs> Every time that I spend time with them, because they teach, they're mentors, it's, 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 it's in their blood, it's in their DNA. They are teaching me these awesome things. The last time we hung out with them in July, they made this comment as we, my husband and I were debriefing life with them and just talking about how we, we, this year has been a lot about growth for us in our marriage and in our careers, developmentally. Like we, we are just, we are wanting to grow. And they said, you're eating your veggies. We said, Yes, that's such a great way to simplify the concept. And so it's this language that my, my husband and I have now of like, we're eating our veggies. This year has been all about eating our veggies. But to the point where <laughs> this past week I said to Joseph, I need to eat my veggies. And he was like, oh yeah, you know, you think you need to take the next level and, and your growth and your development. And, and I was like, no, I actually need to eat broccoli. <laughs> you know, like I really need to do a better job of eating my veggies. But there's these concepts that, that people have taught me that make a huge difference in my life. And you all have these things. You probably have your own list of 68 things that you could teach people that you have maybe failed in, that you wish you had done better, that your parents taught you, your grandparents, your pastor, your mentors, your boss. What are your list of things that you can impart to people that are around you? And then the last thing, and I want to address that Paul did this morning comes from 2 Timothy 3.10, the same exact verse. It says, you know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. I want to hone in on this part where he says, you know how I live. Again, how does Timothy know how Paul lives? He was around him. They did life together. They shared experiences together. And one of the best things that we can do to invest into the people that are around us is to share our life with them. You know, invite them into our family. Invite them into our household. When I was a youth pastor, we would say, take your students with you. Take them with you. It was a phrase that we used. And I did it. I would take my students with me to get my oil changed, to go to the bank, to go to the grocery store, because in those experiences, they would see how I interacted with people at the grocery store. And they would see how I interacted with the people who are changing my oil and looking at them and acknowledging them as a human and saying thank you to them. They saw what I was doing. And they were able to see a different picture of what their life could be. So who around you can you just invite over for dinner? Who around you can you spend time with and try to be intentional about using teaching moments or, or just letting them see the way that you live your life? Paul had a tent making business as he was trying to spread God's word. And he would come into these communities, he would make tents, he would hire people. And they got to day in and day out watch how he interacted and I'm sure as they were sitting there making tents, he started talking about God. He was just sharing his life. And I have been really trying to be more intentional about doing this with my three-year-old, Trey, because he starts to really get it. And this morning on the way to church, as I am not only like sharing my life with him because he lives with me, <laughs> but as I am trying to impart my knowledge to him, I had a conversation about God on the way to church this morning and why we went to church and what we learn about God. And we start having this really interesting conversation where I feel like a lot of these things that I've been talking about started clicking. And he asked me, 
is God a big God? And I said, yes, he is. Right? But he's like thinking in terms of superheroes and that's really big in his mind right now. And so I'm like, well, yeah. And then he goes, does God fight monsters? And I'm like, yes, he does. And he goes, well, does he, yeah, he fights bad guys? And I was like, yes, he is trying to fight bad guys on your behalf because he wants the best life for you. And, and I'm sharing these experiences and I'm having these teachable moments. So what does that look like in your life? Who can you be investing into? Who can you be mentoring? And if after all of this, you're still like, ah, I don't know, then pick somebody way, way younger than you. Here's the deal. They have studied what it takes for kids that are graduating from high school to stick with their faith after high school and have their own faith starting in college. And the, there's two huge things, and one of them is that for every adult that's not their parent that's involved in their life, it exponentially raises their odds that they would have their own faith. So if you feel like you're not qualified enough to teach adults or to teach other people in this room, we've got a lot of kids. We've got a lot of tweens that you could say, you know what, I'm gonna take them with me. I'm gonna take them grocery shopping with me. I'm gonna take them to get my nails done. I'm gonna take them with me as I'm watching football and screaming, you should have had that. What does it look like to take them with you? So right now in the quietness of your seat, we have every Sunday what we call God space time here at the Grove. We believe that God is involved in your life, that he communicates with you, and that he has something to say to you this very morning about what it looks like to invest into people in your life. So right now in the quietness of your seat, chat with God about who he might be wanting you to invest into. Chat with God about that hang up that you have that says I'm not good enough. And hear him saying to you, there's little baby birds that have their mouths open and they don't care that their food is perfect. They just want it and they are hungry to learn. you have told us that you want us to be a part of a squad, not just any old squad, but a hashtag squad goals type of squad. You commanded it of us. And we pray that as we're thinking about that, that we would be inspired, encouraged, challenged to go out and find a way to share with others what we have learned. That we would affirm their strengths, that we would acknowledge their weaknesses, 
acknowledge their struggles, that we would impart our knowledge and share our life with them so that we can help people grow into who they were meant to be. So we can help future generations and people that are younger than us continue to change the world for you. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the message of the week. If you were inspired by this message and would like to speak with a pastor, check out our website at thegrovecommunity.net for more info.